the raising of Lazarus is one of the best known stories in the Gospel of John and maybe one of the best known stories in the Bible. And in it, Jesus makes a pretty profound statement about himself and then he performs his greatest miracle. Jesus has turned water into wine. He's fed thousands and thousands of people with just a few loaves and some fish. He has healed people. But in our passage this morning, Jesus faces the ultimate challenge. Death itself. The greatest challenge to Jesus was not hunger or paralysis or blindness. It was death itself. And so the question that arises in John chapter 11 is this. Does Jesus have power over death? Death is the last enemy, as the Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians. Does Jesus have the power over death? And Jesus' answer to that question is seen in verses 25 and 26. To Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? If we're going to understand this claim correctly and how it affects us today, we need to dig into the story a little bit. And as we see Jesus deal with death within the confines of a single family, this points to the moment where he deals with death once and for all. And so for those of you who are taking notes this morning, I have four things Uh, for us to see in this text. So the first thing is the the delay of Jesus. We see that in verses 1 to 16, the delay of Jesus. Then the test from Jesus. We see that in verses 17 to 27. Then the compassion of Jesus in verses 28 to 37. And then the power of Jesus in verses 38 to 44. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text this morning is simply this. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. All who believe in him will not die. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. All who believe in him will never die. All right, so let's look at the first point. The delay of Jesus. We find out at the beginning of this chapter that a certain man, Lazarus, was sick And and Lazarus wasn't some random person that Jesus had never known. We find out that Lazarus and his family were close to Jesus. They were some of Jesus's closest friends during his time here on earth. Martha had provided for him in many ways. And Mary had this deep affection for Jesus. She'll show up again in chapter 12 where she pours out that ointment, those essential oils and washes Jesus' feet with her hair in order to anoint him for burial. And then we read that Jesus loved Lazarus. He tells the disciples, our friend Lazarus has died. John writes in verse three, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Mary and Martha turned to Jesus in their moment of crisis. 
because these sisters loved Jesus and knew that Jesus loved them and their brother, it was natural for them to let Jesus know that Lazarus was sick. And yet Jesus does something unexpected in our text. He delays. He delays going to Bethany. And that should shock us because at other times in the Gospels, when Jesus encounters sickness, he heals the sick person. But this time Jesus delays and he allows Lazarus to die. And so this passage teaches us something about sickness and the will of God. Jesus says in verse four, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. What Jesus is saying here is that sickness This sickness, Lazarus's sickness, will not end in death. What it will end in is the glory of God. So that the Son of God, Jesus, will be glorified. This sickness, Jesus says, is for his glory. Sickness and suffering are far from being outside of the will of God. They can be a means. They can be an instrument in bringing glory to God. And so this defeats that idea that for Christians, sickness is never the will of God. Some people think that sickness is always outside of the will of God. But Jesus says here that sickness, the sickness that Lazarus had was for the glory of God. And there's many other instances in the Bible where this is true. Some sickness is used for God's glory. But now the question is not, can God still heal today? Because the answer to that question is, of of course, God can still heal today. There's nothing that God cannot do. Amen? Amen? But the primary question is this. Is it God's will to heal everyone who is sick today? And the answer to that question is no. The promise of no more tears and no more pain is a promise that refers to heaven. Not to earth. In heaven, there will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. There will be no more suffering. But what we know experientially and what we know from the Bible is that death and suffering is the result of living in a fallen world. But God is able to use it for his glory. But the toughest thing for Mary and Martha at this moment is the fact that Jesus delays. Our gut instinct when someone that we love is sick or close to death is to drop everything and go. We buy the plane ticket. We leave work. We drive as fast as we can, faster than we should. That's what you and I do in moments like this. And Mary and Martha expected their friend Jesus to do the same. But look at what verses five and six say. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, 
he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So you could imagine how difficult that was for Mary and Martha. They had taken this enormous burden to Jesus and clearly expected that he would immediately drop everything and come to Bethany. But Jesus stays where he was for two more days. And so the question is, why did Jesus delay? Why didn't Jesus just pick up and go right away? Well, the only thing that John lets us know is in verse five, where he says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He loved them, so he delayed. Eric Alexander has said, he loved them more than they knew, so he waited longer than they wanted. Jesus didn't delay because of a lack of concern, but because of his love for them. All of God's delays are delays of love because he knows when and what we need it. My friend Nick Batzig has said this, we don't need a savior who tells us to get comfortable where we are, but we need a savior who loves us more than we know and who often delays more often than we wish so that he could show us more of himself. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He delays because he loves them and wants to show them more of himself. And so when those two days are up, he, told, he tells the disciples, let's go up to Judea again. And then they say to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And then Jesus gives them this really weird and strange answer. He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. They're saying, Jesus, why are we going to go back to Judea? That way means certain death. Do you not remember when they picked up stones in the temple to throw at you and kill you? And Jesus responds, and it seems like what he's saying is that since they are with him, and he is the light of the world, then they are secure. Until his hour arrives, until the day ends, until the night comes, Jesus and his followers will be protected from any attack or threat of the Jews. And then Jesus says to his disciples in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, just like many other times in the gospels, the disciples don't understand the metaphor. Completely clueless on what Jesus really means. They, they say to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. They're like, Jesus, if he's okay, there's no need for us to go. But then Jesus clarifies in verse 14. He speaks to them plainly. and He says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Jesus says that he's glad that he delayed for the disciples' sake, because he knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to restore Lazarus back to life, which would be a boost to their faith. When we are in the midst of the delays of God, when he doesn't answer our prayers and the timing that we expect, 
We need to remember that he knows exactly what he's doing. And it's because of his love and it's for his glory. Jesus had something better to do than to touch Lazarus and make him recover from sickness. His delays are always because there's something better. The delay of Jesus then moves from uh, moves into the test from Jesus. In verses 17 to 27, we see Jesus challenge Martha's faith. And it's interesting that Jesus interacts with every single member of this family in a different and unique way. He gives Martha a test to challenge her faith. He's compassionate and shares Mary's grief. And he shows his power by raising Lazarus from the dead. Martha comes to him first. Bethany was two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them and mourn the loss of their brother. And then we see in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. We don't really know what Martha was expecting Jesus to do in this moment. But definitely not raise her brother from the dead. And she's probably not saying, Jesus, this is all your fault. But she's lamenting. Saying, Lord, if only you were here. But Jesus answers in verse 23, your brother will rise again. But notice how Jesus challenges Martha's faith. She says, oh, Jesus, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's a profound statement. That's a orthodox Christian belief. When we confess the Apostles Creed, we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. What Martha says here is a profound statement of faith. Some of the religious leaders in, their, in, in the day, the Sadducees, didn't even believe in the resurrection. But Jesus in this moment challenges Mary's faith by saying that he is now the answer to death. It's not simply that we postpone until the day of resurrection. It's that Jesus Christ today is the answer to death. Look at what he says in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He is saying, Martha, I want you to believe something more than that. He turns her attention away from this generalized belief toward himself. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is claiming that apart from him, there is no resurrection and there is no life. He says that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Eternal life, salvation only comes through believing in Jesus Christ. When someone believes in Jesus, they gain eternal life now. And that believer will not be able to lose that eternal life. They may experience physical death. The body may die. But the soul of the Christian 
goes on living. That's a promise from Jesus. The one who believes in Jesus has passed from death to life. This is the power that Jesus has. This is who Jesus is. What a statement. What a profound statement. Here is a man standing in front of a grieving friend over the death of his friend. And he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And look at Martha's response. She passes the test with flying colors. Verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. She still doesn't know that Jesus is going to do anything with her brother at this moment. But with a confession like this, Martha's in a better spot than she was before Jesus came. And for all of us believers, if you think about it, the greatest comfort in times of grief comes when we focus on Jesus. And so Jesus was taking her gaze off of her grief toward himself. And as you consider your own faith, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he has the power to do all things, even conquer death itself, that last enemy? So Jesus has delayed Jesus has tested, and now we see the compassion of Jesus. Martha makes her beautiful confession, and then she goes to Mary. And look at her response in verse 32. And now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have, would not have died. It's interesting that in the Gospels, Mary is always at the feet of Jesus. Martha and Mary are two different types of people. Martha was the type of person that was constantly busy. She was active. She was a go-getter. And it seems that Mary was the more sensitive type. And so Jesus approaches each sister in a different way. Mary's been deeply emotionally upset. And when Mary ran out of the house, the Jews thought that she was going to the tomb. So they followed after her. And when she saw Jesus, she said the exact same thing that her sister said. No doubt they've been talking and discussing what could have been if Jesus had not delayed. And then between verse 32 and verse 33, she must have just lost it, just started sobbing. And that's what happens when death takes one of your loved ones. There's just this uncontrollable Sadness. We weep. The word here to weep is actually a loud wailing. And notice when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. But those words deeply moved don't really get at what the original language says here. Actually, most Bible translations get it wrong. The translation should be more like Jesus was outraged. Jesus was angry. He found himself 
face to face with sickness and death and what it does to family and friends. He was angry at sin for being the underlying cause for all of suffering, death and grief. He was angry that the fact that the resurrection and the life was right there in front of these people and they were there without hope. And we see the compassionate heart of Jesus here. He enters in and he shares in their grief. As they came to the grave, verse 35 simply says, Jesus wept. Think of this, the creator of the world, the one who knows what the world was like before sin and death is now experiencing the effects of sin and death. This is not the way he created the world to be. There's both compassion and anger in the tears of Jesus. Jesus' compassion was driven by his anger. At At the effects of death, death brings hurt and loss and suffering. And the Savior enters into the weeping of Mary out of the anger that he has for the situation. While nobody really understands what you may be going through today, remember that the Lord Jesus Christ was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's able to come alongside you and to be with you. But here in our passage this morning, he is not just there to sit and to weep with Mary. He is driven by his anger. Driven by his anger, not only to weep with her, but to go to the tomb of Lazarus as a conqueror to conquer death. B.B. Warfield said this. What John tells us in point of fact is that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of irrepressible anger. He did not respond to the spectacle of human sorrow, abandoning itself to its unrestrained expression with quiet, sympathetic tears. But the emotion which tore his breast and clamored for utterance was just rage, righteous anger at death itself and at the sin that brought death into the world. Isn't that amazing? When the Savior looks at the effects of sin, He looks at that sin with irrepressible righteous anger and then goes as a conqueror out of compassion for his people. You can't really describe Jesus with one quality. There's there's so many different aspects and dimensions of Jesus and he's fully that and fully that. And here we see that anger and compassion work together in his conquering of death. And so finally, we see the power of Jesus. Jesus, once more deeply moved, verse 38, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. In the King James, it says that by this time he stinketh, for he had been dead for four days. And Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, how is the glory of God going to be seen? 
Jesus is at Lazarus's grave as a mourner, along with Mary and Martha and her friends. But he is not only at the grave as a mourner. He's at the grave of Lazarus as a warrior to deal with death as the last enemy and to accomplish victory. And not only does Jesus do it here, but the ultimate victory is one that he would gain in his own resurrection. And so they respond in faith. They take, take away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Do you notice that Jesus prays before he acts here? He's setting an example for us. But also his prayer was public to make clear to all that he has been sent from God. And then he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out of the grave. Lazarus came out of the grave. Matthew Henry in his commentary says that Jesus had to say, Lazarus, come forth, because if he had just said, come forth, all the dead would have come forth. We see the power of Jesus. And we learn two things from the resurrection of Lazarus. First, Lazarus serves as an example of us all. That by nature, we are all dead in our sins and trespasses. Did Lazarus have the ability to hear Jesus telling him to come out? Were his ears working at this moment? No, he's dead. That's what sinners are by nature. You and I are by nature spiritually dead. Lazarus has no ability to hear Jesus, but Jesus, by his power, through his word, calls Lazarus to go from death to life. And that's what Jesus does for sinners. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all spiritually dead. But Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth to live the life that you and I could not live. Jesus died the death that we deserve. And he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death once and for all. And he offers new life, resurrection life, eternal life to all who believe. That's the gospel. Amen? Then there are many people today who say, oh, Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. Just a crutch for the weak. No, it's a resurrection from the dead. That's what it is. Jesus is so gracious and so powerful that with a word, he brings sinners from spiritual death to spiritual life. He said back in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. And back in John 5, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And here at the tomb of Lazarus, he is showing us, remember, this is a sign that is pointing to who Jesus is and what he has come to do. He's showing us what he can do in the physical realm 
and pointing to what he can do in the spiritual realm to bring sinners from death to life. And secondly, he's showing us what he's going to do. On the last day, at the resurrection of the just, if he can raise Lazarus who has been dead for four days, he can come back again in glory on the last day and raise all who believe in him. And he's going to do that. But how do we know that he's going to do that? How do we know that Jesus is going to come back? Because Jesus didn't just raise Lazarus from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. I said a couple weeks back, what type of power does it take to raise somebody else from the dead? What type of power does it take to raise yourself from the dead? Jesus has that type of power. That's what we're celebrating here this morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. What Jesus does for Lazarus is just foreshadowing what he does on the third day when he steps out of the tomb by himself. On the cross, Jesus conquered sin. In his resurrection, Jesus conquered death. But not only did he conquer death, but he also gives us new life now. Now. We're not the same people that we once were. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins have been made alive together in Christ. Ephesians 2.5. But I also know that many of us, including myself, sometimes struggle with feelings of guilt. We can't really believe that we're justified. Because we forget that Jesus took the punishment for our sins. But the thing we need to cling to, the proof of his forgiveness is demonstrated in his resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has power over death. He has the ability to give eternal life and he will bring about the bodily resurrection at the end of the age. He's not just a prophet or a teacher, but he's the son of God who has the power to give life to dead people. This is what we need more than anything. Because this life is so filled with emptiness and sorrow and grief and suffering. Life is hard. This year, all of us are going to have to face hardships. Some of us are going to suffer loss and the death of loved ones. That's a reality for all of us. Life is hard, and then at some point, we're going to all die physically. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has all power, and he's going to raise his people on the last day. In fact, he's actually going to raise all people on the last day. Believers to eternal life and unbelievers to condemnation and judgment. And so for those of you here this morning who have not believed in Jesus, I urge you to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Otherwise, you're going to suffer the punishment for your sins, which is an eternity in hell. 
The purpose of this chapter, the purpose of the Gospel of John, the purpose of the Bible is that you would believe in Jesus and have life in his name. Jesus wants you to believe in him and have life in his name. And so this morning, are you trusting in Jesus? Do you believe in him? Do you believe that he is the resurrection? Do you believe that he is the life? Fix your eyes on him. See that he is the resurrection and the life. May we see that he loves us more than we know. He delays because of his love. He tests us when we need to grow. He has compassion towards us in our grief. And he does all these things so that we would see that he has more power than we could ever imagine. Easter confirms that death has been dealt with. Easter confirms that those who believe in him have new life in Christ. And Easter confirms and guarantees our future glorious resurrection. May we all put our faith in Jesus Christ. May we rejoice in his victory that he has won over sin and death through his death and resurrection. Friends, Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. All who believe in him will not die. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this miracle that you performed and the truth that's at the heart of it. That you are the resurrection and the life. Thank you that you promise that those who believe in you shall never die. We thank you that you conquered death on our behalf. Lord, please show us more of your resurrection power in our lives. We pray that you would demonstrate that power in bringing sinners from spiritual death to spiritual life. That you would assure us of the guarantee of that power at work on the last day. Would you do this for us as you did for Mary and Martha? We thank you that sometimes you do delay so that your power and glory can be seen in greater ways.